A core fact surrounding the claim of Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the empty tomb. The New Testament reports that a group of Jesus' followers traveled to his tomb on the third day after his death and found it empty with the massive stone rolled away from the entrance. Only the grave clothes remained, folded neatly and set aside. Angels dressed in white then appeared to them and claimed that Jesus had risen from the dead and wanted his disciples to meet him in a town called Galilee. What should we make of this claim that the tomb was found empty? Was it fabricated by Jesus' followers to give credibility to his supposed resurrection from the dead? Or are there reasons which point to its being true? In today's episode, we will consider some historical evidence which supports the truth of the empty tomb. Welcome to the Reasoned Hope Podcast. In this podcast, we explore the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith and seek to show why the central hope found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. I hope that today's episode is both an encouragement and a challenge to you, whether you are a believer or a skeptic. episode, I began presenting a historical argument for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The core of the argument looks at three historical facts which surround this event and tries to show that Jesus' resurrection best explains these facts when all details are considered. These three historical facts are 1. The empty tomb, 2. The resurrection appearances, and 3. The origin of the Christian faith. In order for the empty tomb itself to be credible, Jesus must have died by crucifixion, and he must have been buried in the known tomb which the New Testament reports. To defend these details of the New Testament account, I presented historical evidence that Jesus did indeed die by crucifixion, and that he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. I also briefly provided some reasons to think that the New Testament accounts are trustworthy sources of history. If the New Testament documents are trustworthy and reliable historical sources, they cannot be ruled out as providing credible testimony to the events surrounding Jesus' ministry, including his death and resurrection. While much more could be said about the historical reliability of the New Testament, that is its own topic aside from the resurrection of Jesus and will have to be addressed in a future podcast. But in this episode, we will now consider the empty tomb itself. The first thing to realize is that if Jesus was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, this means the location of the tomb was known in Jerusalem. If the tomb still contained Jesus' body, those critical of the early church could have easily produced Jesus' corpse to refute their claims and dispel the movement. The account is found in all four Gospels, but the Gospel of Mark records the following in Mark 16, 1-8. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. 
They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. One of the first details to notice about this account is that it says women were the first witnesses to the empty tomb. Modern readers of the Gospels usually do not consider this an unusual detail, but in the context of the first century, this really stands out. The reason is that in the culture of the first century Mediterranean world, the testimony of women was not valued as credible. Women were not regarded as credible witnesses in a court of law, and they were viewed as second-class citizens. If the gospel writers were fabricating the report of the empty tomb, it is highly unlikely they would make women the first witnesses to this event. This would only serve to undermine their credibility and not support it. Another thing about the account in Mark is that it is an early independent source. Mark is dated by most scholars as the earliest gospel, about 60 A.D., and all the gospel writers drew on source material that predates their own composition. What this means is that if Mark's gospel is early, then the eyewitness testimony he based his gospel on is even earlier. This is significant, since the closer in time a historical source is to the event in question, the more reliable it tends to be. Another way scholars analyze historical sources is their textual composition, that is, the words and phrases used in the source. In the account from Mark, the phrase, the first day of the week, is referred to as a Semitic phrase. This basically means that the phrase reflects language that is part of an older tradition. Later references to the resurrection tend to use the language on the third day instead. While this does not discount sources that use the on the third day reference, it points to a significant feature of Mark's report that once again shows it is an early source. Another significant feature about Mark's account is that it is very straightforward and lacks embellishments. This means it does not include over-the-top and wild details which exaggerate the scene. This is good evidence against the claim that the account of the resurrection is a legendary development. Legends take time to develop, and these often occur hundreds of years after an event in question. But as I have noted, the New Testament documents are sources very close in time to the events which they report, within 30 to 45 years of Jesus' death, and they are rooted in the eyewitness testimony of those who were present. These factors are very damaging to a hypothesis of legendary development. To provide an example of legendary development, we can look at a work from the Gnostic Gospels. These are a group of writings dated hundreds of years after the events of the New Testament, and they contain embellishments and other details which reveal legendary development. Listen to this section from the Gospel of Peter, which is a late 2nd century work. It provides a very different account of the discovery of Jesus' tomb and his resurrection, and it says this, and in the night in which the Lord's day was drawing on, as the soldiers kept guard two by two in a watch, there was a great voice in the heaven. 
and they saw the heavens opened, and two men descend from thence with great light and approach the tomb. And that stone which was put at the door rolled of itself and made way in part, and the tomb was opened, and both the young men entered in. When therefore those soldiers saw it, they awakened the centurion and the elders, for they too were hard by keeping guard. And as they declared what things they had seen, again they see three men come forth from the tomb, and two of them supporting one, and a cross following them. And of the two, the head reached unto the heaven, but the head of him that was led by them overpassed the heavens. And they heard a voice from the heaven saying, Thou hast preached to them that sleep. And a response was heard from the cross, yea. It is not hard to see that this reads very different from the Gospels of the New Testament. Details such as talking crosses and people with heads reaching to the heavens are strange and foreign to the New Testament Gospels. Another text which we considered in the last episode was 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5. Paul here cites an early Christian creed, and part of this creed says that he was raised on the third day. What this provides is another example of an early independent source that presupposes the discovery of and reality of the empty tomb. The other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, include details that Mark's account does not. This reflects authentic eyewitness testimony. Different eyewitnesses to the same event will emphasize certain details that others do not, while keeping the core report of the event the same. An example of this is that in the accounts of Luke and John, some of the disciples go to the tomb to see if it is indeed empty after they hear the women's testimony to Jesus' resurrection. The New Testament book of Acts, written by Luke, a physician and traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, is another early independent source which refers to the empty tomb. Luke records one of the earliest sermons preached by the Apostle Peter to the crowds in Jerusalem. In part of his sermon, Peter contrasts King David of Israel, who died, with Jesus, who was raised from the dead. It is obvious that if Jesus was raised, then Peter is presupposing the empty tomb. This can be found in Acts 2, 29-32, and it says, Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. A significant piece of evidence for the reality of the empty tomb concerns the early Jewish response to this claim. In his gospel, Matthew records that the Jews circulated the idea that Jesus' body was stolen from the tomb. This can be found in Matthew 28, 11-15, which says, As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, Say this, His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. 
If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. Now, what is interesting about this is that the Jews were not able to produce Jesus' body to refute the disciples' claim of the empty tomb. Their only response was to propagate this idea that Jesus' body was stolen. But this response by the Jews presupposes that the tomb was indeed empty, which supports the resurrection. But could it be that Matthew just made this account up to defend Jesus' resurrection? Some critics have suggested this, but the problem is that the details provided in the account do not fit with this idea. If Matthew was fabricating this story, it only makes sense that he would be responding to an alternative explanation for the empty tomb. It is very plausible that the Jewish response to the claims of Jesus' disciples would have been something like, the body was stolen. Otherwise, they would have produced Jesus' body to refute the resurrection. The fact that Matthew includes the detail of guards being present at the tomb would have served as a legitimate counterclaim to the Jews. The Christians would have said, the body could not have been stolen because of the guards. And to this, the Jews would have said, the guards fell asleep. And the Christians would have countered, no, the Jews bribed the guards to say this. If there were no guards, the Jews would have easily refuted this, since the location of the tomb was known. Thus, unless the detail of the guards was true, it would serve as a poor apologetic against the Jewish claims of a stolen body. Matthew also would have no reason to invent the idea that the Jews were claiming Jesus' body was stolen if they did not, in fact, make this claim. Matthew's inclusion of this counterclaim of the Jews regarding the empty tomb reflects the early dialogue between the Jews and Christians of the first century over the resurrection of Jesus. It is a summation of the back-and-forth debates that the Jews and Christians had over the empty tomb. One final consideration here is that if someone is going to suggest that Matthew fabricated certain details in his gospel, then we must ask how they know this. Is the critic suggesting that Matthew's entire gospel is made up? Or is it only certain portions we should think are inventions? If only certain portions, what criteria are being used to identify them as fabrications? I've already provided some reasons to hold that the Gospels are historically credible and that the eyewitness testimony they provide is sound. In addition, the character of the New Testament writers reveals people who are concerned with the truth about Jesus being known. All of these reasons are rooted in the same criteria that historians used when evaluating any source for credibility. Besides these considerations of Matthew, the theory that the disciples stole Jesus' body has been thoroughly discredited. In a future episode, we will examine alternative explanations for Jesus' resurrection and provide more details supporting this. In this episode, we have looked at some historical evidence for the empty tomb. We have early and independent sources which testify to the empty tomb, such as Mark 16, 1-5 and 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5 as well as various details included in the New Testament accounts, which provide good reason to believe the testimony is credible. A fabricated account of the empty tomb would not include women as the first witnesses, since this would undermine the credibility of the report in the first century. 
an account that contained legendary development would be embellished and exaggerated, as with the Gospel of Peter. But Mark's account is straightforward. The fact that the New Testament documents are early also does not support legendary development, as legends take much more time to develop. And the early Jewish response to the empty tomb was to claim that Jesus' body had been stolen, as they were not able to produce a body, despite the fact that the location of the tomb was known. These considerations show that we are on good historical grounds to accept that the disciples found Jesus' tomb empty on that Sunday morning.